Hi, welcome to Word Coda. This is Beck McNew. On today's episode, I interview Jasmine Lopez, where we talk about autoimmune issues, storytelling through photography, ethnicity, cultural identity, spiritual identity, navigating ethnic conversations and friendships, and being a safe space. And my favorite part toward the end is Jasmine's powerful testimony of the healing found in finding forgiveness for an absentee father. And we even throw a little bit about mental health in there. So just hang on to your hats. Stay for the whole thing because this is such a full episode with so many good topics, but I just, I couldn't imagine leaving any of it out because it's all intertwined with each other. So without further ado, let's get to it. I'm incredibly happy to introduce to you today, Jasmine Lopez. Jasmine has just the sweetest gentle spirit and I found her on Instagram through a mutual friend. Her handle there is Authentic Adventure Co. if you want to check her out and I will link her in the show notes. Thank you for joining me, Jasmine. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited. I'm so excited too. Okay, so just a little bit about you. I love your pictures, by the way. That totally (laughs) linked me. But how I found you actually was we have a mutual friend. I don't know if you're real life friends or Insta friends, but Mylene. Yeah. And she had she had linked me to you about some autoimmune stuff. So if you're willing to share, tell us about some of the things that you struggle with health-wise. How has it affected you your whole life or is it something that developed over time? Yeah, totally. So I feel like I have always had some sort of like stomach issue pain, related pain um, since I was like a teenager. I feel like that's when I really started noticing that something was kind of off. Um, But it wasn't until I went into my 20s where I finally went to the doctor to try to figure out, like, what was the root cause of this. Um, And I didn't really find any sort of solution or help. Um, They kind of just said, it sounds like you have IBS, figure out your triggers, and that's it. There was never any sort of connection between my diagnosis with thyroid and it potentially being an autoimmune condition. It wasn't until I had my third child, actually, which was three years ago, where we did blood work and my doctor at that time figured out that I had Hashimoto's. What is Hashimoto's exactly? Yeah, so Hashimoto's is an autoimmune condition in which my immune system attacks my uh, thyroid. It thinks it's bad, and so it attacks it. And there really isn't any sort of explanation as to why with any sort of autoimmune condition that's kind of just science's way of understanding what autoimmune is. But I've been doing a lot of research, doing lots of diet changes, and really trying to take a hold of my own health journey and really trying to figure out ways to heal my body, my gut, um, without needing to go on on medications. Yeah, and that's so huge because I have some autoimmune issues myself. It is hard to figure things out specifically, and then not everything that is recommended for you to do is actually healing to your body and really helpful. So as a mother, as Mm -hmm. a career woman, just how does having this condition affect you or do you have it pretty well under control? Yeah, good question. So I feel like I have my ups and I have my downs. Um, It's more recently that I have been experiencing symptoms of fatigue and and, um, body aches more ever than I've ever experienced it before, along with like vertigo, um, hair loss. Yeah, just like 
feeling constantly tired. And so there's definitely days where I have to just take it low, rest, and kind of just lighten my load. And luckily with, you know, what I do as a photographer and storytelling, I'm able to kind of dictate my own schedule. So I can, you know, be flexible and make adjustments accordingly. But it's definitely challenging when I wake up one morning and my joint pain is hurting to the point of where I can't get out of bed. Um, And I'm trying to figure out how I can, you know, do the motherhood thing. I, I currently homeschool my oldest daughter as well. We're on our fourth year. And luckily, you know, she's just turned 10. Um, so that she's a little bit older into the place where she can definitely, you know, be a little bit more independent and do her own school, which has given me the flexibility to say, hey, you know, mommy's not feeling very well. I'm going to go lay down for a little bit. Or oftentimes we find ourselves doing school in bed. <laughs> Yes. Oh my goodness. I'm the same. We also homeschool. And sometimes, oh, cool. I, sometimes I say I'm more of an administrator than an actual teacher. <laughs> it's like, here, go do what you can do. And if you need me, bring it to my bed. <laughs> I totally, I totally it. get that. Something that I find as a challenge too is do you run into people who just don't get that you can totally be okay one minute and then the next minute not be okay. So you have to break a commitment or you you seemed fine at one thing and the next day you're not okay. And they're like, well, if you could do this, and then why can't you do that? Yeah, I think, oh gosh, I feel like that's the reality I'm living in right now. Um, you know, my husband is very gracious, but there's moments where I think it's even hard for him to understand like the gravity of, of how I'm feeling. And it's, you know, my personality type is really hard. It's hard for me to say, hey, I'm not feeling well, I need to lay down. And so I'm working on like being a better communicator in that and being able to invite him in what it is that I'm feeling. But for the most part, you know, I haven't experienced anything like outside of family who who you know haven't been able to really extend grace and be like you know you were fine one day and at the next I think it's more an internal struggle that I struggle with with needing to admit where I'm at and the pain I'm feeling within my body and then being able to name it own it and then share it and I think that's more of my personal struggle through it where I, I get to tell my husband hey um, I'm having a really hard day today. I, I think I really need to rest and hang low. And, and when I'm able to invite him in that is when he's like, okay, I am, you know, I totally understand. You do what you need to do and I'll take care of the kids. Absolutely. I think that God has graciously allowed me the opportunity to learn to rest through this. I don't want to paint it as if it's a punishment, but I even said to someone the other day, if it weren't for all of these things, I would probably be a total jerk. (laughs) And there's some aspects of it just, I'm a doer. And even in the whole concept of the Sabbath, like you work and then you rest, you work and then you rest. And when we refuse to rest, we are not depending on God and showing that we don't trust for him to work things out or make things happen if we don't have our thumb on it. And that has been a lesson for me in, okay, I'm, I'm going to let you learn this <laughs> and I'm going to let you understand that even when you can't, I still can. And I also love how you said about inviting your husband into it because, man, our husbands, praise God for them. <laughs> they, yeah. they are champions for us. But again, the whole, maybe I should just speak for myself and not for you, but just that pride (laughs) of letting somebody else take care of you when you want to be capable on your own can be tricky to work with. So I appreciate what you put into it there. 
Totally. And let me just speak into that rust um, aspect. Um, I really feel like I'm in this season where I feel like that keeps coming up in, in my time with the Lord. Like, he's just like, find rest in me. And I just shared the other day with my husband. I was like, I don't know what it means to rest. And I don't know how to rest well. So I don't find that coincidence, even in you mentioning it, that when I'm having a hard day, it very well might be a whisper from the Lord, really encouraging me to lean into resting and not pushing my body beyond what I can actually handle. Yeah, something I struggle with is it's almost like because I know that there's potential that my body is going to blind inside me and I won't be able to do, then when I can do, I try to do too much. Yeah. Which then might trigger my body into blindsiding me into not being able to do. So it's like, put on the gas and slam on the brakes and put on the gas and slam on the brakes. And that's so hard on our bodies. And, you know, part of it, we can't help what our bodies just do on our own. But I've really, it's a good thing that I'm kind of a planner by nature, mm -hmm. because I've really had to portion out my tasks so that I commit to, okay, I'm only going to do this much, even yeah. even if something might happen to me, because otherwise I will I will not stop. I will not stop trying to cram in too much, and I will completely wear myself out. That's so good. Definitely, that's great feedback. I'm at a season where I'm, I feel like I'm at the very beginning of this journey where I'm learning what that means, what that looks like, and really being realistic with what I can handle and can't handle. Um, and also learning what to say no to yeah. has been challenging and finding my voice in that and being able to say, you know, just in this season, I, I just can't add this to my current schedule. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's hard to, for me and my personality to think that the way things are right now might not be forever. Mm -hmm. there, there will be changes. And just because I'm saying no now doesn't mean I won't say yes to it in the future or that my body will be forever incapable, always, every day in the same capacity. Is there something that you just wish everyone could understand, like that people just don't seem to get? Yeah, I, I think sometimes the blank stares or the really like the lack of knowledge kind of facial expression. And I don't know if you know what I mean and if you've experienced this, but when you begin to like invite friends and those that you're in a relationship with, kind of like what your health journey is and what you're experiencing, I think there's that, but you look fine. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what it is that you're talking about. And so, and, and I don't think it comes from a place of like malice or anything bad, but I feel like when those of us who have some sort of chronic illness are inviting those we're in relationship with into what it is we're experiencing and being vulnerable, I think really being open-minded and, you know, asking questions and, and maybe even if it's something you're not aware of or what that specific condition is, do what you can to like learn about it and then think of tangible ways that you can be there for someone and to help them. I think that I get that question a lot like well let me know if you need anything <laughs> um and I think that's almost like work that you have to put into helping yourself mm -hmm. it's almost better instead of saying let me know if you need anything it would be better to like just reach out give a phone call say how are you feeling today I've been thinking about you um how's your body how's your pain and I'm grateful that I have a few other friends who are walking through similar journeys and so we do check in with each other at least weekly, just to see how we're doing, if it's been a hard week, um, how we could be praying for each other. And so it's been really encouraging to kind of have that support system, even though we're not those kind of friends where we see each other every day, where we hang out all the time. But 
I know that at least once a week, someone is invested in my health and is asking me how I'm doing. For sure. So I know from your beautiful pictures that you're a photographer. Mm -hmm. What inspired you to pursue the art of photography? Oh, gosh. I'm like, how do I make this short and not long? Um, I got into photography in high school, um, freshman year, part of intro to art class, and I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with, like, the beauty of it. And at this time, it was film day, so learning the darkroom, exposing, and the chemicals. So fun. Um, and it was just something that I really enjoyed. I think it was like the first time I was really able to like tap into creativity and to see something come to life that I made, that I took. And so it wasn't until about my early 20s where I decided to try to like make this like an actual business. I didn't really think that I could do much with it. Wasn't really sure like what photography looked like in terms of making an income off of it. So I just freelanced with a company during that time, kind of learned the ins and outs of the business, grew my uh, skill set in it, practice, practice, practice. And then shortly after that, I quit that freelance job to go full-time on my own. This was about now almost seven years ago. Um, And while I was in that transition, I really felt like the Lord was like, hey, you know, Jazz, your tagline is what will be your story, but you don't really know anything much more about your families than what their names are and their ages and different things like that. Mm. And so you really began to walk me down a path of like what storytelling is and um, studying scripture in terms of like the power of our story and why our stories matter. Um, And it was in that season where he walked me through that where I really became passionate about not just photography, but the responsibility that I had through the tool of photography, that I literally use light to capture moments, memories, legacies, and that I have the choice and the responsibility to capture it in a way that is authentic as possible. And so I, ever since then, that's been my approach. And I also have a give back called Click for Hope, where I photograph and share inspiring stories. And so that give back has really allowed for me to partner the two together of visual storytelling with written storytelling. Um, and it really allows me to be able to kind of bring light to a lot of topics that we're not really talking about, like chronic illness or mental health to breast cancer to all kinds of topics and so that's something I'm very passionate about Um, and I know that this is my life mission and I don't know that it's necessarily always going to be connected specifically to photography but I know that photography is a tool in which I can share stories and tell stories. That was an absolutely beautiful explanation. It was very inspiring. I think that every form of art is is a form of storytelling, really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, changing gears just a little bit. You are a woman, clearly. And <laughs> more specifically, you are Latina. And I would love it if you'd share some things that you love about your culture, how you celebrate that, uh, challenges that might come with being a minority woman in business or even just in the American culture in present in general. And maybe if you can touch on what it means to you when we say that representation matters. Yeah. And just how you recommend navigating through conversations on cultural diversity. Yes. Okay. So firstly, um, I consider myself a second generation Puerto Rican. Um, I know there's like different perspectives in terms of 
what that means and looks like. I really believe it's open to interpretation. And so, you know, my mom was born here and uh, Spanish was her first language. She does speak English fluently. And then when she got married and had my brother and I, Spanish really wasn't the, the priority I guess is how I would say it in an essence. And so I did not learn Spanish fluently. And I think as a result of it, it really has messed with my cultural identity a lot. I'll be completely honest. You know, growing up, I remember thinking in high school, like, you know, there's like those typical like uh, cliques and very also segregated. And so like there was like the group of Latinos and majority Mexicans. And so there's for some reason, there is a, a cultural tension between Mexicans and Puerto Ricans. And so mm. while I am part Mexican, um, I don't identify with Mexican because I wasn't raised by my father. I was raised by my mom. And so I solely um, identify for the most part as Puerto Rican. And it's now recently where I'm starting to be more open to my Mexican culture and learning more about it. But growing up, being Puerto Rican was just something that we were taught to be very proud of. And um, my mom loved to cook Puerto Rican food. Um, it's very tasty. Like that was just my everyday normal kind of life. I feel like I didn't really start experiencing some struggles, I would say, and sort of like maybe stereotypes until I got into business. When I started my business is when I feel like I started seeing some of the comments and the associations to, you know, what it means to be a Latino. And so there's like this stereotype and I'm not sure what it's like for you and where you live, but I'm in Chicago and, you know, it's a very metropolitan area and we're diverse amongst cultures, but there is a lot of stereotypes in terms of just life and livelihood and things like that. And so, you know, for example, like if you want something cheap, you would go to a Mexican. Um, and so there's that kind of clumping of Latino culture where if someone knows you're a Latino, like they automatically assume that you're Mexican. And then that gets people very offended because they're like, well, there's so much more to, to the community than just Mexican. And so there's there's a lot of tension within that. And so let me ask an answer to uh, question here. So because you're Latina, do people automatically expect that your job is going to cost less money? Yeah, I've, got, I've experienced that so much where there was the assumption that my work and what I do is cheap than what someone else might offer it for. And, you know, and I've, I've gotten some comments from other people in the creative industry. And I think when I first experienced this, I, I wasn't very sound in my identity with the Lord. And so, um, and I wasn't solid in knowing who I am as a daughter of the Most High King. And so I really allowed a lot of the comments and the feedback, whether or not it was positive or negative, but I really allowed it to shake me to the point in where I wouldn't even sign my email with my last name because I didn't want people to judge me and my skill set based off of my last name. And so the story I had written was, I am good at what I do, but I'm not worth getting paid as much or equal to as maybe someone else 
because of what my last name is. And, you know, I later on came to discover that while there might be some instances where that's true, that's not always the story. And so the Lord really walked me through this process and breaking down that lie and really helping me to identify like the truth of who I am and then the beauty of my culture and being open to walking through what that means and looks like. And so I remember I was like, God, I feel like you're telling me to write a blog post about this and I really don't want to. This is so hard. But I did. I wrote a blog post called, Hi, my name is Jasmine and I'm a Lopez. Um, And Lopez is like the most common Hispanic last name. And so I just kind of shared some of my struggles and experiences being in the creative industry. And I got a ton of positive feedback from it. And a lot of other friends of color was like, this is amazing. And, you know, you put into words what I've been feeling and it feels good to know or it's encouraging to know that I'm not alone in this. And so I really feel like God has been walking me through this healing process of my my cultural identity so that I can begin to kind of in some way be a bridge um, to being able to have these types of conversations and where we can, while we may not look alike or we don't live in similar livelihoods or situations where we can be able to uh, really facilitate and have conversations and get to know each other outside of the context of skin color or culture. Yeah, something that as a white person, like honestly, the health journey is probably the closest thing that I have to relating to racial issues Mm -hmm. because I... I would think back, you know, about how just you have an online community, for example, that you can share your health struggles with and all that. There are just people in real life who love you and mean well, but they just can't get it because they have no way of truly identifying with that. Mm -hmm. And something that I've kind of learned for myself, and if I'm saying something that is completely off, because I know they're not the same thing, I don't want to equate them, but just that I feel like we think we being white people. We have friends of different ethnicities, and we think that because we have friends of different ethnicities, Mm -hmm. that they feel safe to share their struggles with us and those tensions with us. But I don't feel like, in general, that's entirely true, because so often I've noticed that we might try to fix the problem as if that problem's on you. Hmm. Like that judgment is still somehow your fault for, oh, misunderstanding our meaning or, I don't know, we just can't get it. Like like that you're trying to create an issue and we're annoyed that you're bringing up an issue instead of acknowledging that the problem is the fact that there's an issue and not that we're talking about the issue. Like the talking about the issue is not the problem. The problem mm-hmm. is that there's an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I feel like I, I run into that even with health stuff. Like people are like, oh, I'm so tired of hearing about gluten-free or I'm so tired of hearing about how you're tired or, or whatever. And something, you know, I've tried to come to terms with is or tried to bring other people to terms with in regards to me is as annoyed as you are about having to hear about this again, I'm infinitely more annoyed about having to live with it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, Is there anything you can correct me on that? Or do you feel like that Caucasian circles really are a safe space for you to share those things in real life outside of a blog? Or are you afraid of pushback? Yeah. Wow. (laughs) We're going to go straight in, huh? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Things just spill out of my mouth sometimes. (laughs) Oh, I think, you know, I've experienced both. I've experienced 
regardless of the matter, it takes vulnerability to put yourself out there. And oftentimes I find that I am the one putting myself out there versus my Caucasian friend saying, hey, you know, in light of everything that's going on in the United States of America right now, like, how are you feeling? I have to say not a single friend has asked me that. But all that to say, I think having those conversations are important. And so, you know, there are certain friends where I have felt somewhat safe to share it with. And as I opened up and began to share, I've experienced both outcomes, the sit and listen well and the the pushback the challenging the well that's not really discrimination and what if that's not really what they meant um and so i have experienced both but what i'm finding is as i'm able to share more with specific friends i'm able to really bring them in and realize that they're interested in wanting to learn more but they don't necessarily know how to like begin to open up that line of communication and so i had a friend for an example we had a time to kind of like hang out and connect and you know, she, she said, hey, so how's home ownership going? And I took a moment to pause because she's Caucasian. And um, I live in a, a community that's 97% minority. And all my most, I don't want to say all, but the majority of all my other Caucasian friends have always talked about the community itself. Like, how's the community? Not how's your home? How are you enjoying home ownership? How are, are the girls loving space and freedom to run around? And so that topic and that instance was something that was kind of hard to navigate there. And so I acknowledged her in that. And I said, thank you so much for, for asking me that. I have to say you're the first person to ask me this and we are loving it. We're loving our neighbors. We're loving everything about where we're living. And I think through saying that, she's like, I really need to um, apologize and ask for forgiveness for assuming that you spoke Spanish. I think in a previous conversation we had, she had assumed that I spoke Spanish fluently and I don't. And that was my first time where I experienced um, such healing and beauty in that. Um, and I was like, kind of taken back by it. I was like, wow, thank you so much. Like that means a lot for me. Cause I think in my identity, I wrestled with that because I don't speak Spanish fluently, I must not be Latina enough. And, you know, just having her kind of uh, encourage me in that and, and apologize in that, but still recognize that I am a person of color to her was really freeing for me personally. And so I think having those types of conversations are hard. I think they can be awkward. We can stumble over our words, but I think there's lots of room for grace in those conversations if we're willing to just ask and sit down with a friend who is a different ethnicity and ask them what their experience has been and really practice what it means to listen well, keep your mouth shut and just ask yeah. and sit That's and the listen. Hard part, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that and again, where I can relate to it as is the health journey and just believing people mm-hmm. like and not saying, well, maybe it's not really this. Maybe you're perceiving it wrong or maybe this problem isn't really there. Like just believe people's experiences that, okay, your experience is different, but their experience really is that without trying to like make it less of a big deal. Mm-hmm. I can't think of the word I'm talking about. Like maybe to try to make it more palatable for 
for us to handle. Mm -hmm. I think we try to just not necessarily believe people because if it makes us uncomfortable, we want to put the reasoning for that on Mm -hmm. them and not on something being in our hearts. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I feel like Jesus calls us to not be comfortable and to have those types of conversations. And, you know, he hung out with the Samaritan woman and the unwanted people that Pharisees didn't, you know, think we're worthy to hang out with. And so, you know, when we can challenge our inner selves and put ourselves in what would feel like and seem like uncomfortable situations so that we can gain perspective on a certain people group, I think is really when walls begin to come down. And in that is when we really begin to see that we have a lot more maybe in common than than we would have thought. Maybe we share, you know, similar health journeys, for example, like you and I, or we share passions in the same art. And so when we're able to like begin to tear those walls down and have those types of conversations, it really opens us up to have more meaningful and engaging relationships. Absolutely. I have two questions. You can pick one or the other or both. Why do you think it is important to identify as Latina and not just meld into the proverbial melting pot Mm -hmm. is one. Mm -hmm. I forgot the other one. So that's the one that we'll go with. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, good question. So, you know, as I said, like I I wrestled with my identity during my high school, college years. And it really isn't until maybe like two years ago where I'm like, this is who I am. And there's beauty in my culture. And so being honest in that within myself and, you know, and in that it's interesting because I'm light-skinned Latina. And so even within the Latino community, there's a lot of colorism, you know, in terms of like, Mm -hmm. oh, you're not dark enough or you're too dark or... I'm going to interrupt you for just a second. If you can explain to people what colorism is, because some people might not be familiar with that term. Yeah, so there's like, I'm going to speak specifically within my community because this has been my experience. Basically, it's the lighter skin you are, the more you can relate to whiteness. And in turn of relating to whiteness, you'll belong within what is seen to be better or good. And so the lighter you are, the better it is versus the darker you are, the less privileges, quote unquote, you receive. And so... So you might receive more preferential treatment yeah. because you're lighter skinned as opposed to darker skinned, even though it may not be a blatant racism against your ethnicity as a whole. Is that accurate? It, in essence, yes. And so, but it happens so much within our own Latino community. And so there's like lots of comments like, oh, you're not Latino, you're white. And because your skin is white. And I say, I'm a light skinned Latina. But I'm not, I'm not white. I don't identify as white. I don't believe that I experienced the full-on experiences of white privilege. Now, as an American, I have my own set of privileges that I am aware of and, and know of. Like being able to speak English is a privilege. Having fair education is a privilege. But in terms of like, you know, the privilege that happens in exchanges between whites and people of color. And so um, within the Latino community, colorism is definitely something that you see. And I mean, even in like the entertainment industry, for the most part, it's light-skinned Latinos 
who are, you know, in the media, even light skin um, with colored eyes. And so in, in the cool thing, and I think it's something that's beautiful to be celebrated because Latinos come really in all shades from all the way to very super fair skinned to all the way dark with Afro features. And so I think there's such beauty in that. But because of racism and colorism, there's been this blur and loss of beauty in that. And so that's that's where I'm at right now in my journey is learning about like our cultural history and, and learning about like my great grandmother, for example, when I would go to Puerto Rico as a child, she had a very indigenous look to her. She had the wide face with the long black silver streaked hair. Meanwhile, my great grandfather had a very Spaniard look to him with blonde hair and colored eyes, very fair skinned. And so the lineage of Puerto Rican culture, you know, can be it's can be founded and rooted amongst Spaniards, um, amongst the Africans to the indigenous. That in an essence is what Puerto Ricans are. And so colorism is definitely something that I face I face a lot with because I get a lot of like you're not Latino, you know, you're white and you don't speak Spanish. And then there's even like that tension but they still want to pay less for your photography because you're Latina, but you're not Latina if you are white. Yeah, so there's so. there's been that total tension between being, you know, I grew up in the suburbs, so being in the suburbs, while it was di- the school that I went to was diverse, it was majority of it was Caucasian, and so not being white enough for my Caucasian friends, but then not being Latina enough for the Mexican, Puerto Rican, Hispanic looks. And so I kind of was in that tension of back and forth, like, where do I fit in the spectrum of all of this? And that's where I think really a lot of lies about my identity began to creep in. And so I'm really finding freedom now at the age that I'm in. And now that I have three kids, I'm like, I want you guys to be nothing but proud of your culture and um, and what it means to be a Latina and what that looks like and the beauty of it, the beauty of our music, the beauty of our food, the beauty of it all, and just like what family means and all of that. And so it's definitely something I don't think I have fully figured out. And I'm learning a lot myself, you know, to be completely honest about it all with racial identity and colorism. And, you know, I don't have it all figured out and I can't always fully communicate it myself, but I definitely try my best to not only just learn and be educated, but to hear the stories of others and what their experiences have been like while in the process, allowing the Lord to really walk me through my own journey of embracing this is who I am and that's okay and I can thrive and I can be successful. Um, I can begin to tear down the lies that I believe about myself because of my ethnicity. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. So earlier you mentioned how about how your father is Mexican, mm-hmm. but he did not raise you. Would you like to touch on that and how that has affected your journey thus far? Sure. Yeah. So my dad is actually Mexican, Puerto Rican, and my mom is 100% Puerto Rican. And so my dad, you know, he made a lot of poor choices and he left our family when my mom was pregnant with me. And so I was raised by a single mom my entire life. Because of that and having an absent father made it really hard for me to want to understand like why the dynamics of that 
But I also think because I didn't have him in my life as a kid, I wasn't confused in terms of like what it meant to have a dad like living with you in your house um, because I never had that. And so I grew up very angry, bitter. Yeah, very just mad, mad at life. A lot of unhealthy mindsets, I guess is how I would describe it. And it wasn't until I was 16 where I was invited um, to a church retreat that I went to. And we were like in this worship experience and it was really beautiful. Um, And I had never really experienced Jesus in this kind of way. And so I'm like, what is this even about? But whatever, I'll just be open to it. Um, And I remember having this beautiful encounter with the Lord where we're in this worship experience and it literally felt like everyone had left the room and it was just me and Jesus and like the spotlight (laughs) on him. And I was sitting in the fetal position crying and I felt like Jesus said to me, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to forgive your father. And when he said that to me, I felt like this overwhelming sense of perfect love that I didn't know I was searching for, but really deep down inside was. And so when I felt it, all I could say was yes to that perfect love. I didn't know what it meant to forgive my father. I didn't know what steps to take, but I knew that this perfect love that I had experienced from the Heavenly Father was something that I wanted and was something that I wanted to learn more about. And so after that, that in essence is my salvation story, like how I came to the Lord. And it was after that, maybe about three months in with my journey with the Lord, I had a conversation with my dad and we're on the phone together. And I was just sharing with him the experience that I had just exactly like how I did with you. And he's crying on the phone and I cried on the phone and I felt compelled to say the words, I forgive you, dad. And I kid you not, when I said, I forgive you, I literally felt like the burden and heaviness of anger, unforgiveness, hatred. I felt all of that literally lift off my shoulders. And for the first time in my life as a 16-year-old, I felt light. And that really was a journey that I started walking through in terms of forgiveness and really how to love God, but love myself. Um, And now all these years later, my dad and I have an amazing relationship. We're completely reconciled. And it's just been really cool to see how God can literally, like I can think about how much I used to hate my father and not be moved or swayed by how I didn't have him in those beginning years of my life. But now looking at him and being able to say, wow, like what a joy, what an honor it is that my dad can be and is in in my life now. That is a powerful, powerful testimony. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thanks. You told me earlier how mental health is something that's important to you and something that you are presently working through. How does that tie into what we've ta- been talking about earlier with your relationship with your father and your ethnic background or a little bit about your journey in your mental health? Yeah, great question. So um, while my relationship with my father is reconciled, um, I'm walking through a journey of healing from the abandonment that came as a result of it. And so I started seeing a therapist almost a year ago to start talking about that along with some other traumatic experiences that I experienced. And um, I'm now learning how to see God as my father and how he won't abandon me. And I think that wasn't really a concept that I was open to learning, or I guess I wasn't even really aware that that's 
a, a struggle that I had where I couldn't see God or approach God as my father. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm walking through this journey now and learning so much about myself and really allowing Jesus to come and heal me from that trauma um, so that I can become all that he desires for me to be. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. I am so glad that you joined me today, Des. I'm I'm so excited I got to just talk to you, period, yeah. because I've enjoyed following you on Instagram and your stories when I can catch them here and there. You're just very inspirational. Mm, thank you. Can you tell people where they can find you? Um, you mentioned a blog post earlier about, what was the name of the one, about being a Lopez? Yeah. Hi, my name is Jasmine and I'm a Lopez. Yes. And is that still available? It is. It's on my, so I used to have a Click for Hope website where I did all my inspiring stories on there. Um, it's still on there. It's still live. I can send you the link if you'd like. Awesome. I will link it in the show notes then. Okay, cool. And then otherwise you can find me at AuthenticAdventure.co. Um, that's my blog where I share about my family and creativity and faith and everything in one space. Wasn't that a great story? I'm so glad that Jasmine was willing to share her heart with us here today. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, rate and review. That way you won't miss anything. It'll help others find the podcast. Win-win for everybody involved. This is Beck McNew, encouraging you to fulfill your word quota well.